Section 35 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Palmer Cox. Section 35. Dudley's Fight with the Texan. The poor cur kicked and scalded during the day, at night can lie and click his sores in peace. The scudding hare that can hold out a head of the baying beagles, until black Kate waves her wand between the hunters and the hunted, may hope to shake them off. The aeronaut, tiring of the clamor here below, can rise above the busy haunts of men and hold sweet communion with the gods in quiet. But I, alas, find no escape from the inexorable plague, Jim Dudley. He comes upon me like a thief in the night, and mars my rest. Within the holy sanctuary even, he whispers in mine ear. Through the busy marts and thoroughfares, he haunts me still, and tells of fights and hairbreadth escapes. With all the glibness of an old battle-scarred veteran, was primed his firelock in three campaigns. He talks of drawing deadly weapons as a dentist would of drawing teeth. In all likelihood, the fellow never drew a weapon in his life, except, perhaps, at a raffle. I had long noticed a scar on Jim's forehead, but never ventured to ask him how he got it, fearing a story would follow. Last night, he detected me looking inquiringly, and without any query on my part, the following infliction fell upon me. You see that scar that looks something like a wrinkle? Over my left eyebrow, don't you? Wow, you can't guess how I came by that. Cow kicked me? No, not by a long chalk. Nor a hoss, nother. I got that scar the summer I was gwine through Texas. I'll never forget how I got another in a hurry, for I never did have such a narrow dodge since the night Dad's old house burned down, and I got out through the cellar drain. I was traveling towards the border of Texas, went away back in Waco, and order I got as far as cars would take me, I set out on horseback. One evening, just as I was getting into a small village, my hoss got one of his legs into a hole in the road, and falling over, broke it snap off below the knee. I felt mighty bad over it, because I didn't have any too much money about me, but I had to leave him there and go into the village on foot carrying the saddle along, for I calculated to get another animal the next day and continue my journey. I put up for the night at a small hotel, and there was quite a number of fellers a-settin' around the bar-room talkin', but amongst them was one big, ugly-lookin' villain, with a glass eye that was continually droppin' out and rollin' across the floor like a marble, pupil up and pupil down, who would move along under chairs and tables, most comical-looking thing you ever sought eyes on. He would walk after the truant, glaring round with the other eye as though watching to see if anybody was laughing at him. And he would pick it up, chuck it back into his head again, as if it was a pipe that had dropped out of his mouth. He seemed to be a bully amongst them, for when any of the other fellows went to pass, they circled around him, something like a woman round the hoss standing on the sidewalk. I judged by that that they were scared of him, and didn't want to get anywhere near his corns lest they might accidentally touch him. I sat there watching of him for some time, and at last, while he was leaning on the counter, beating time with his fingers on top of it, 
a feller came in and called for something to drink. The bartender gin him the bottle, and he poured out a drink and left the glass settin' on the counter while he turned around to drop his quid of tobacco. As he was doing it, the big bully-looking customer hissed the glass, drained it right thar, and smacked and licked his lips, arter it as though wishing there was more of it. Something like a young widder, arter you give her a kiss. The fellow that ordered the drink turned back, wiping his mouth, getting ready to swallow. When you see the empty glass, he rise up short of indignantly, and was a gwin to say or do something. But when he saw who it was, he changed his mind pooty sudden, tightling down about six inches, turned around, and just slid away easy-like out of the room. As he was gwin out, I could see his ears looking as though they were freezing, for they were getting whiter and whiter as he moved along down the steps. As I was thinking about it, a ministerial-looking man came edging up to me and says, You're a stranger in this quarter, I believe, and let me give you a little advice. It may prove valuable to you before you get away from yar. Why, what's the matter? I asked, wondering what he was coming at. Have you got the smallpox in the house? I continued. Smallpox, he answered. Was nor that, stranger, for the love of peace, he continued. Keep clear of that feller at the counter. Let him have his way. You might as well undertake to cross a crater as him in any of his bully and tantrums. Now mind I'm telling you, if his eye falls out, don't laugh at it. Don't betray your emotions. If he steps on your corns, take it as if old Jupiter's self had reached down his foot and trod on ye, and you'll come out of it better than if you did object a mighty sight. Who is he? I inquired. Why, that's Bill Cranebow. Glass-eyed Bill, they call him. He had more fights over that glass eye of his than ever a dog had over a sheep's shank. Everybody's afeard of him. They hate him. Wasn't a lawyer does a peacemaker. No one who knows him wants to undertake the job of getting away with him. They'd rather let it out to strangers. Always lighten at a fight, for all he looks so clumsy. But the butcher is with the cleaver. That glass-eyed Bill is with the bowie knife. He knows just where to strike to open a jint or get betwixt two ribs. You'd think to see him at it. He had practiced for twenty years with some old doctor, by the way he can disarrange the house we live in, as the poet says. Wow, that's sort of curious, I says. Ain't there no person around this section that has had any experience of the cutting business? He's only human, I reckon. If he gets a poke between wind and water, he's as likely to wilt as anybody else, isn't he? I says, jokingly, just that way. Thunder and mud, exclaimed the ministerial-looking man. You've been used to fighting with women, I reckon. Lose his strength? You might as well try to kill the strength of a red pepper cutting it up as that feller. Why, I've seen that glass-eyed Bill in some of his fights he are. When he was so cut and slashed apart, that you could see his innards working like a watch. And I'll be called a Downey's Noodle if he didn't stand up to his work like a barber until he got through with his man. He likes to fight in a dark room best, though, because there's no chance in getting on the blind side of him thar. And the landlord, not long ago, fixed up one on purpose to accommodate him. He had so much fighting to do. He'll work a quarrel out of the least thing, Laughing at his eye rolling off is a certain way of getting into trouble, is running against a wasp's nest. 
though he smokes like a coal pit himself. I knowed him to pick a quarrel with a young Georgian and kill him, because he happened to send a whiff of smoke in the direction where he was setting. Ever since that, whenever he comes into the room, you'll see the fellers a-pluckin' and a-snappin' their pipes out of their mouths, and crammin' em into their pockets or under their coat-tails. Anywhere to get em out of sight, like boys who are just learnin' the habit when they sight their dad a-comin' along. Take my advice and keep away from him, for he's dead certain to pick a muss with strangers, as they generally resent his insults. Plague on him, he continued. I wish he'd go away from the door. I want to get out. But it's not good policy to go a scrounging past him while he's looking so fired of glum. With that, the old man went quietly over to a chair in the corner and sat down. Something the same as a monkey does when a larger one is dropped into the cage. I went to bed pretty early that night, and I was plaguey tired. In the morning I learned there had been a fight in the dark room between Glass-Eyed Bill and a Tuscaloosan. Bill, as usual, had killed his man. I began to wonder whether I'd get into some scrape or another before I'd leave, and as there was to be an auction sale of horses and mules that morning right there at the hotel, I concluded to make a purchase and get away as soon as possible. I bid two or three times on horses, but they'd run em up too high. At last they fetched out a big mule, and thinking that would be just the thing, I went for em pooty strong and succeeded in getting em. Glass-eyed Bill had been settin' on the doorstep thar, and didn't seem to be taking any part in the biddin'. But when I went to lead the mule off, he hollered, "'Where ya goin' with that critter? Leave him standin' thar, please. I can attend to him myself, I reckon.' "'Wow,' says I, just slow and easy that way, for I wanted to keep down my rising temper, knowin' what I was when I got mad. If I'm any judge of auctioneerin', the mule is mine, and I callate to lead him away when and where I please. Just then the same old ministerial-looking man come chucking and pulling at my coat, says he. I'm taking ruinous risks in speaking to you now, he says. But I tell you again, don't cross him. Let him have the mule, or you'll expire quicker than a spark when it drops into a boiling pot. He doesn't want the mule no more than a husband wants two mothers-in-law but he's just pining to get ye into a muss, and he doesn't see any way of doing it without he disputes the mule with ye. Let him have it, or it'll be worse for ye. Now mind what I'm telling ye. No, I'll be shot if I will, I answered. He ain't a gwine to wipe his hoofs on me until arter I'm dead anyhow. And with that, I began to move away from the critter, when glass-eyed Bill jumped up from where he was settin', and shouted pooty snappishly like, Hold on, thar. Drop that rope, unless you want to collapse so quick that one half of ye will be in eternity before the other half knows there's anything amiss. On what grounds do you claim the critter? I asked, just a billin' inside, keeping short of cool outwardly. Words don't amount to a woman's sneeze in settling a matter of this kind, answered old Glass-Eye. What does, then? I inquired. "'quite innocent-like, as though I didn't know what he meant, "'though I didn't know sure enough what he was driving at. "'This does,' he answered, "'rising up and putting his hand behind him, as I do now, "'and jerking out a ripping great knife "'about as big as the culture of a plow. "'That's the sort of thing to settle disputes with. "'No gentleman will argue a case. "'Well, he's got an arbiter like that, 
to leave it to, he continued, a slapping it down flatways into the palm of his hand as he spoke, and bringing an echo from an old barn that stood near. I see the bystanders begin to turn pale as whitewashed chimneys, and commence looking at the ground as though hunting for straws or splinters to pick their teeth with, but they only wanted some excuse to get away. Suppose and I should pull out a knife about seventeen inches and a half long, I says, just that way. What then? It's just exactly the thing I want to see, he answered quickly. A young mother was never more tickled when she discovered the hoose tooth that peeping out of her young'un's gums than I am when I see a knife coming out of its sheath in a feller's hand. Wow, I reckon you must have been brought up in a fightin' settlement, I says, just like that, for I couldn't hardly keep from joking. He seemed so amazed and eager. Come, which shall you do, gin up for the mule or fight? You gotta do one or harder, he says, impatiently as he stooped to pick up his glass eye, which just then dropped out and was a-rollin' under the hoss-trough. Well, I says, I ain't particularly struck art or fightin', but it's bad enough for a feller to squirt his terbacker juice on to you without wantin' to rub it in, and if it'll be any accommodation to you, I'll fight first and then take the mule afterwards. Enough said, he answered, just short that way, and then turning to the landlord who was standing in the door, he asked, is the dark room ready for use? No, not quite, he answered. There are some pieces of that long Tuscaloosan lying around in there yet, I believe. But I'll attend to removing them right away. And he started off with a bucket and dustpan. So we all went into that bar room and stayed around there waiting until the place would be prepared. While we were there, Glass-Eyed Bill pulled out his knife and commenced to draw it backwards and forwards over his bootleg as though to get it a fine edge on it. Well, you can wet your greatest scythe blade, I says to myself, kind of low that way, for I allowed he was doing it to scare me. It ain't always the longest horned cow that does the most hooking. My old tobacco shaver has got point enough on it to inaugurate a new passage of the interior, if it won't cut a har. After a while, he leaned over to a feller that sat by the table. And while running his thumb sort of feelingly along the edge of the knife, he says, The man I bought this from in Galveston assured me it was the best of steel. But he lied, I reckon, for I turned the edge of it last night on that long Tuscaloosan's ribs. Yet that's not much to be wondered at, Arter, after all, for I do believe he had as many ribs as a snake. I thought I never would succeed in getting the blade betwixt them. Arter, I got him down the corner and his knife away from him. I commenced jabbing in his armpit, and I prospected the whole way down to his kidney, before I could get it far enough to let his dinner loose. Gee, Wilkins, when I heard him talking like that, didn't I begin to squirm and fidget around on my chair? I wished that I had never seen the place, more especially the long-eared mule. But I see I was in for it, as the boy said, when he got his head stuck in the cream jar. There was no way of getting out without coming right down to begging off. And I was too consuming proud to do that, you know, if I was certain of being cut up in as many pieces as a board and house pie. Just then the landlord came back and said the room was ready, but remarked that it was a little slippery yet, he said. For a lean man, you never did see a fellow that had so much blood in him as that Tuscaloosan had. Beckoning me to the counter, he says, you might as well settle your bill now before you go in thar. It may be more satisfactory to you 
to have the settling of your own affairs, and it'll save me the trouble of hunting over your effects arter you're dead. All right, I says, now if you say so. It's generally admitted that sure things sometimes get mighty slippery all to once, and perhaps somebody goggles may prove blue of the morning that were bought for green uns at night. I didn't want to let any of them think I was scared, though by jingo, I felt certain of being minced up, and the cold chills were just streaking all over me. So we started for the room, which was about twelve feet square and dark as pitch. The landlord held the door open till we were in opposite corners with our knives out. Then he shut and locked it, left us to work out our own salvation, as the missionary did the South Sea Islanders, when he overheard him talking about the best way of cooking them the next morning. Wasn't it dark in there, though? And still? You could have heard a lizard a-breathing in there, it was so quiet. I allowed Glass High Bill was expecting that I would go a-shuffling and a-hunting around for him, but I had no such foolish notion. Calculated if there was any fighting to be done, he'd have to do it for I was determined to stand right there till I dropped in my tracks, before I go a-searching for him. I commenced breathing about twice a minute, and not making any more noise at it than a wall-bug, another. But for all that I heard him a-moving over towards me. I'll always think that Cranebow had a nose on him like a setter dog for he somehow or another got right over there where I was standing. Pooty soon I was feeling a stinging along my forehead there, I suspected at once that it was the knife that was feeling around for me, so I reckoned it wouldn't be long until he was prodding of it somewhere else, and like the boy with the candy bag. I calculated the first poke was everything, so I made one sudden, and determined plunge and sort of upward rip at the same time, calculating to do all the damage I could right at once while I was about it. He heard me start, and thought to squat down before I got the knife into him, I reckon, though his intentions were good. He only spread the disaster, like the gal who had tried to put the fire out with the corn broom, for he was going down the knife was rising, and the result was truly astonishing. I'll be smashed if he didn't fly open from end to end like a ripe pea pod. It was done so fire quick that he didn't realize how bad he was hurt, I think. Says he, We'll try that over again, stranger. As he spoke, he started to get up, but fell away seemingly in two different directions. Not on this side, we won't, I says, as I went hunting round for the door. I was surprised as much as him at the way things had turned out, for when I stepped into that room, I looked on it as stepping into another world. When the door was found, I commenced knocking, and pretty soon the landlord came and opened it. He couldn't see me at first, but aloud it was the bully that was there, of course, and says he, You made pretty quick work of it this time. That fellow won't want to buy any more mules after this, I'll take it. No, says I, a-stepping out. Reclaim a critter that doesn't belong to him nother. What? he cried, jumping back with a look upon his face that told me at once he was mighty displeased at the way things were developing. Is it you? Where's Glass-Eye Bill? he continued, shading his eyes with his hand and peering into the darkness. He's lying around in there somewhere, I answered careless-like, just that way. The head half of him is nigh the door here, paralyzed, I reckon. But the leg part is somewhere over in the corner thar, where you hear the kicking. You might as well be getting your bucket and dustpan ready, for you'll have quite a job getting all the pieces together, I'm thinking. I continued, just that indifferent way, and walking out towards the bar room as I spoke. You never did see a feller so set back in your life. He looked at me as though I had as many heads onto me as the beasts we read about in the scriptures. 
always believed that he was in cahoot with old glass eye he just kept him thar to pick quarrels with strangers so they could have the picket over of their effects arter washing my hands and plastering up the cut on my forehead a little i went out and saddled the mule and the crowd all came out to see me going off i reckon if i had stopped in the village i could have had things about my own way for some time before i rode off i turned round to him and says when you get so frightened of a bully again that you daren't sneeze within forty feet of him just send for me and i'll open him up ready for saltin while you be wiping your mouth with that i rode off left them staring at each other and then arter me as though wondering who or what i was anyhow End of section 35. Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.